Come on, everybody. Happy Resurrection Day. I should have said happy devil stomping day. Happy you ain't bound in sin anymore day. Happy heaven is open wide for whosoever will day. This is the jubilee of the universe. Amen. This is the day the one who went down like a lamb came up as a lion, defeated death, hell, and the grave. If we understood what we were celebrating today, it would change the way we worship. It would change what we believe. It would change what we expect. It would change everything about our lives. Happy Resurrection Day. So good to see everybody in God's house. Welcome. Welcome to everybody who's tuning in from wherever you're tuning in from. We're glad you're here as well. If you have your Bible, would you take it out? If you need your Bible, uh, a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers would be happy to loan you one. Let's go ahead and hold our Bibles up and all together. Uh, let's say this after me. Ready? Go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen. You sound great. Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? Go with me to John chapter 11. I'm going to begin in verse number 34, and today we are beginning a new series called He Amazes Me. It's taken from the seven miracle signs in the gospel of John that all point us to the fact that Jesus is Lord. Matter of fact, John said the reason why he wrote all of these things is so that we would believe, and it all leads up to the greatest miracle of all, which is the resurrection, and if the resurrection doesn't amaze you, you are beyond amazing. Anybody ever been to a magic show? When you go there, like, whoa, how do he do that? It's fake. The resurrection ain't fake. The resurrection is real. He really did live. He really did die. He really did defeat death, hell, and the grave. That ought to amaze you. Amen? Have you found your place in John chapter 11? I said, have you found your place in John chapter 11? All right, verse 34. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb Four days, Lazarus was dead four days. Then verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. If you ever given an assignment to memorize a verse of scripture, this is your go-to right here. Jesus wept. Verse 38 says, then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Verse 43. Now when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who was dead came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Today on Resurrection Sunday, I want to minister to you from the subject the fourth day, the fourth day. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much for the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray right now he ministers to every single heart in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. 
as I indicated, there are seven miracle signs spoken of in the book of John. Each of them points us to the deity of Christ for the sole purpose that we might believe. The seven signs are not an exhaustive list. Matter of fact, John says, if I wrote down everything that Jesus did, the world would not be able to contain the volumes of books. Jesus was a miracle-working machine. By the way, what should God be? If God couldn't do miracles, is he really God? I said, if God can't do miracles, is he really God? Moreover, if you can kill God and he stays dead, is he God? No. The only one that qualifies to be God is Jesus Christ. Confucius never did no miracles. Muhammad never did no miracles. And when they got dead, they stayed dead. Jesus did miracles. He was a miracle-working machine. Seven signs, though, covered in the book of John. The first one is when he turned water into wine. Second one is when he healed a nobleman's child. The third one is when he healed a man paralyzed 38 years who was laid at the pool of Bethesda. The fourth one was when he multiplied a little boy's lunch of five crackers and two little sardines turned it into a feast for 5,000 families. The fifth one was when he walked on water. The sixth one is when he opened the eyes of a man born blind. And the seventh one is the subject of our text this morning. He raised Lazarus from the dead after he had been dead four days. And the seventh sign in particular is quite interesting to me because it's a dress rehearsal for his own resurrection. And there are so many similarities between the two miracles. So many things that point to some spectacular and amazing truths. And for simplicity, I want to categorize the similarities into four groups. The first group is the reaction of the loved. The second group is the reason of the Lord. The third group, the response of the living. The fourth group, the result on our lives. So let's begin with the first group, the reaction of the love. As we come to the text, we can hear the disappointment and despair in Martha and Mary, who are the sisters of Lazarus's voice. They sent a little note to Jesus, and here was the note, Lord, behold, the one that you love is sick. Now you have to understand what they meant by this. This was a family that was extraordinary, extraordinarily close to Jesus. Jesus hung out at this house. Imagine that. Imagine having Jesus pop in every now and again. You know, doorbell rings. I wonder who that is. Oh, it's Jesus. You know, and this happened on a regular basis for them. When Jesus wanted to crash, Jesus went to this house. When Jesus celebrated holidays, Jesus went to this house. Jesus hung out there all the time. They had such a cool relationship that he felt comfortable just popping over unannounced. Remember, he brought his 12 disciples for lunch and Martha was scurrying about the house. She was worried, how am I going to get everything fixed up? This is the kind of relationship. And so when they send Jesus this message, the one that you love is sick, they expect Jesus to give them family treatment. Family treatment. You know what family treatment is, right? So you know there are certain privileges that family gets that not other people get, right? If, if somebody's a stranger walks into your house, they don't just open up the fridge. You'd be like, yo, well, bro, what you doing? Right? But your family's in your house. They can open up the fridge. They don't have to ask if they can eat anything. Everything in the house is theirs, right? Their family doesn't need to call for an appointment. You know, ever since my kids were little, I told them, I said, you can just walk right into my office. You don't need to worry. You don't need to figure it out. You can just walk right in. Family has its privileges. By the way, you're in the family of God. Guess what that means? You got privileges. Don't ever underestimate the privileges that you have. And so when uh, they, they sent this note to Jesus, they were expecting Jesus going to drop everything that he's doing and he's going to come. But by the time Jesus gets there, in their minds, he's late because Lazarus is dead. 
And the sisters expressed their disappointment to Jesus, both of them say it in, this, in different places in the text. But in one place they said, if you had been here, Lord, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, this wasn't the way it was supposed to happen. It wasn't the response we expected. It wasn't the outcome we expected. Lord, we needed you sooner. Can you hear their pain? Can you hear their disappointment? Much like when Jesus was crucified. When Jesus was crucified in his own, before his own resurrection, everybody was disappointed. The disciples looked at one another. This wasn't the way it was supposed to go down. He wasn't supposed to die. I mean, this is God. This is the Savior of the world. He was supposed to deliver us from Roman tyranny. I mean, he was supposed to deliver us from this oppression. This wasn't the way it was supposed to happen. And they were disappointed. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Has God in your mind ever let you down? Ever showed up late? Have you ever cried out to God? God, this wasn't the way it was supposed to be. God, we needed you sooner. We needed you before the situation. We needed you before the problem. But can I encourage you this morning? Disappointment is often the backdrop upon which God shows up divinely. And many times after God shows up against the backdrop of life's blow-ups, guess what happens? Our faith grows up. When we come to the resurrection and the dress rehearsal, the raising of Lazarus from the dead... On the fourth day, we have the insight of hindsight. In other words, we have the advantage of knowing how the story turns out. But, but, but in life, we don't have that advantage. In life, we're living through it. In life, as we go through it, we don't always know the story is going to turn out the right way. And disappointment sets in. And when disappointment sets in, it makes us begin to believe for and expect the worst possible outcome. And if you are in that situation, I want to remind you of a glorious truth. Never forget the resurrection. The resurrection is proof that even when it looks like it can't turn around, God can still turn it around. Let us not forget, the disciples gave up, hell got puffed up, Mary and Martha asked Jesus what's up, but in a few short days, all of their loved ones got up. Don't forget the resurrection. Dormant disappointment will come to steal your faith, but the resurrection is a reminder that with God all things are possible. Matter of fact, when Jesus got out of the grave, I am was dropped from impossible. Impossible became possible. What do I mean by that? Well, I am not stuck in this thing anymore. I am not sentenced to always live like this. I am not going to stay in this situation for the rest of my life. I am not going to see this thing have victory over me. When Jesus got up, I am lost or got dropped from impossible. Now, I want you to realize what Mary, different Mary, Mary, the one at the tomb of Jesus. There were two Marys. There was Mary. Magdalene and Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, two different people. Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, she was a sinful woman. She was the one that Jesus delivered from a life of prostitution more, more likely than not. She was the one that broke her alabaster box. That's a different Mary than Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was the one Jesus cast seven demons out. And Mary Magdalene was the first one to the tomb, right? And in John chapter number 20, verse number one of the resurrection of Christ, it says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. Now stop and look at me. If I were to ask you, when did Jesus get up? What time of day? Everybody would say sunrise, sunrise. You remember sunrise services from back in the day? Make you feel bad about it too. Now Jesus got up at sunrise. Y'all got to get here at six o'clock in the morning. Otherwise you really don't love Jesus. 
foolishness. Jesus didn't get up at sunrise. Look at what the text says. Look what it says. I can't believe how people miss this. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still what? While it was still what? And what happened? And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. What happened when she got there? It was still dark and Jesus had already got up. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that God does his best work in the dark. That when you think it's over, when you think God can't come through. How many of you know it was dark at the midnight hour when God shook the prison? It was dark when Jesus came walking on the sea in the middle of the night to his disciples. It was dark in Daniel's lion's den. It was dark in the fiery furnace for Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego and on that first resurrection morning when Mary went to the tomb the champion of the ages was gone in the dark if you have a dark situation in your life right now I want you to remember God can still turn that around the reaction the reaction of the loved now here's what I love about the way that Mary grabbed hold or Martha grabbed hold of this truth Even after the disappointment, look what she said. John chapter 11, verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I love what she said next. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Because of the resurrection, you can have even now faith. The divorce has disappointed me, but even now. The sickness has attacked my body, but even now. Death has taken a loved one, but even now. Lost my job, but even now. Was betrayed by my closest friend, but even now. Life hasn't turned out the way I thought it would, but even now. Been living with heartache, but even now. You can have even now faith. Because of the resurrection, the reaction of the love, the second reason or the second category, the reason of the Lord. Sometimes we think, well, I don't understand why God, you know, doesn't do things when I want him to and when I need him to. The reason of the Lord. Look at the account with Lazarus. John chapter 11, verse three. Therefore, the sister sent him saying, Lord, behold, the one you love is sick. Family treatment. When Jesus heard that, I'm expecting to say he dropped everything. He went and he, he was doing it and he went. But here's what it says. He said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place that he was. Then after he said this to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The scripture is confusing. Because I grew up, maybe you grew up like this, that if you care, you come. That if you really care, you drop everything when I need you. That if I heard that a family member of mine was sick, let's say I got news right now that a family member of mine was sick right in the middle of this message. I'd pass this off to one of the associate pastors and I'd be out of here. If I was in the middle of a million dollar deal about ready to collect the check and I heard that somebody in my family was sick and ready to die, I'd leave the money on the table and I'm out. I'm gone. Because if you care, you come. But notice what happened with Jesus. He got word. It said he loved Lazarus and he stayed two more days. And I'm like, uh, I'm kind of confused, Jesus. Can, can you help me out? And when he gets there, I mean, this is kind of what Mary and Martha are thinking. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, we, we watched. 
We watched. He walked into the pool of Bethesda. You didn't even know the guy personally that was laying there for 38 years. And you went out of your way and you went and healed him. A woman snuck up behind you. You didn't know who she was. You didn't even know she was coming. She touched the hem of your garment. You went in a rush to go raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. You stopped in your tracks. You turned around. You healed her. You listened to her tell the whole entire story. A man who was a blind beggar on the side of the street. He called out to you one day and you didn't even know him. You said, come on, come. And you healed him. Lord, you did all that for them. But Lord, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. They are disappointed. They, their disappointment has led them like it does us to make, us, make them believe God doesn't care. But then something amazing happens. The shortest but one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. After Jesus showed up and they're thinking, what happened? He said, Jesus wept. And suddenly the mood of the story changes. Suddenly, they're not, they're still disappointed. But suddenly, it's like, well, but he's, he's crying. God, God actually cares. I'm still hurt. But at the same time, why are there tears running down his face to know that he's not just holy and he's not just powerful, but he's like you and I. He has a heart. Matter of fact, I came here to tell somebody, I don't know who I'm talking to, that even though you've been disappointed, even though you've lived through some stuff you wish would have never happened, I want you to know that the God of the universe can be touched with the feeling of your infirmity. He cares so much. The scripture says he bottles your tears. God Jesus wept. And when he wept, suddenly the text got a little stranger. Because when you think, why why are you weeping, Jesus? Maybe because you're feeling their pain, but, but at the same time, you knew something that they didn't know. What did you know, Jesus? Remember what he told his disciples as soon as he got the word. He said, this sickness is not unto death. But for the glory of God. Another little further down in the text, he said, Lazarus is sleeping. I'm going to wake him up. So now here's what I don't understand. If you know you're going to wake him up, if you know that the situation is not going to end in death, if you know that a miracle is coming, you know, it's kind of like somebody who has the insight of foresight. Jesus did. He knew. Why are you crying, Jesus? And as he stood before Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, something went off on the inside of Jesus. Jesus understood in the grand scheme of the divine plan of God that Lazarus was the kingpin. Lazarus was the one who set it off. Lazarus was the final miracle that pushed the Pharisees and Sadducees over the top. It's what caused Caiaphas, who hated him, to order his crucifixion. Because after he raised Lazarus from the dead, they said, if we let him alone, everybody's going to believe him. If we don't do nothing now, everybody's going to put their faith in him. This man not only opens blind eyes, this man not only walks on water, this man not only unstops deaf ear, but this man calls the dead back to life again. Everybody's going to believe he's God. We got to kill him. We got to kill him. And as Jesus is standing there, suddenly he realized Lazarus gave his life for the plan and purpose of God. He stood before the tomb and his good friend loved him enough to allow him to miss the funeral. His good friend loved him enough that he went on and 
went on in, from this world and wouldn't even have him hold his hand. His good friend did this for him. Can I talk to some people who have laid down your life for Jesus? Can I tell you when you lay down your life for Jesus, you are in for some amazing miracles in your life. He stands before the tomb and he cries and the cry was a cry of anger. One version said he groaned within his soul. He said, devil, you touch somebody who I love. And this is part of the plan of God. But because Lazarus didn't come to die for me, I came to die for him. Now I've got to call him out of the tomb. But I couldn't call him out till I waited two more days. Why do you have to wait? The reason of the Lord. The Jews believed that the spirit of an individual stayed in the body for three days. If Jesus would have resurrected Lazarus on the third day, somebody would say, well, Lazarus probably wasn't dead. Lazarus was just in a coma. But as the Jews believed, the spirit would leave the body after the third day. Jesus waited two extra days to call back that spirit. And why did he do that? So that they would know. I'm no ordinary man. I am not just an individual who's a healer. But I am God, the one who commands spirits. The one who gives life to man and calls man home to be with God. And so he waited two more days. He waited for the fourth day. Sometimes God will wait to show you that he's stronger. To show you that he's stronger than sickness and disease. To show you that he's stronger than your financial ruin. To show you that he's stronger than any situation. Sometimes God waits just so God can show you that he is stronger than you thought. God doesn't delay because he doesn't care. God delays because he cares so much and he wants to reveal a part of himself that you don't know yet. You see, they knew him as healer because they hung around him. You couldn't hang around Jesus and not know he was a healer. That's why I get angry at all these messed up theologians. Well, I'm not really sure whether God wants to heal people. Hang around Jesus. He was a healing machine. One guy came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, in other words, I'm not really sure, but if you're willing, you can. Jesus said, I want to. Healed him. He answered the question. They knew him as healer. They knew him as restorer. Because Mary was probably, she was a prostitute in our day and age. That means she was probably shooting stuff up, used and abused. She was on the street, but he picked her up. He turned her around. He put her life on solid ground. He restored that family. He rescued her from sin. They understood that he was a rescuer. But guess what they didn't know? They didn't know he was the resurrection and the life. So he waited two extra days. He said, I'm not slow because I don't care. I'm slow because I got a surprise. I got something I want you to see in me that you've never seen in me before. You saw me as healer, but you could believe I'm a healer, still go to hell. You saw me as a restorer. You could believe I'm a restorer, still go to hell. But the one thing that will send you to heaven is knowing that he is the resurrection and the life. And so he waited so the people he loved would know that they know that they know that they weren't just living with an ordinary man. They were living with God manifest in the flesh so that they would go to heaven. If God is waiting, it's because God wants us to reveal something about himself. So he waited four days. But for himself, he only waited three. Why four for Lazarus? Why, why, why three for him? Well, you remember what Martha said when he said, roll away the stone. Lord, by now, he stinks. He's been in the grave four days. See, what would happen after the four, when the fourth day on is the body would begin to decompose. 
And when the body began to decompose, it would start to, to stink. But they would try to mask it by wrapping the body in like linen cloths and all sorts of ointments and perfumes and so on to mask the smell. But she looked at Jesus. He said, she said, Jesus, by now, he stinks. Jesus only waited three days for him. Why? To fulfill prophecy. Jesus' body, in order to be the Messiah, could not begin to decompose. Say, what, is it, what does it say that? Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not leave my soul in shoal or hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. If Jesus waited four days for him, his body would have started to decompose. If his body started to decompose, he would have violated this prophecy. If he violated this prophecy, he could not be the Messiah. So instead of four days, he got up on the third day before decomposure can, stop, can touch his body. But they also believed that decomposure was punishment for personal sin. How many of you know his body could not decompose? Why? Because he had no personal sin. The only time sin ever touched him is when he hung on that cross and he took your sin and my sin. But he himself was the perfect sacrifice of Almighty God. So for his resurrection, three days. For Lazarus's, four. The reason of the Lord. Sometimes we don't know. Why is it? That God is delayed. Why is it that God hasn't answered? Every time you don't think God cares. Every time you are tempted to believe that because God didn't answer the way you expected him to. Always remember that he is motivated by a love for you that knows no bounds. The response of the living. Notice when Jesus gets there, he has a little conversation with Martha and Mary. And he says this. Your brother will rise again, verse number 23. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he says this, do you believe this? This is the operative question. This is the question of the ages. This is the question of what we call Easter. Do you believe this? Jesus did all sorts of stuff to ensure that the ones he loved believe this. For Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he waited two more days so that they would witness his resurrection power. Do you believe this? Well, now we do, because look at what you just did. His disciples, the ones that were with him for his own resurrection, after he was resurrected, he did all sorts of things so that they would believe to Mary Magdalene. What did he do? He sent an angel to tell he's not here, he's risen. He appeared to us as a gardener. Why? So she would know that he was indeed risen. For Thomas, who wouldn't believe, Thomas said, I don't want to hear that he was resurrected. You know why Thomas didn't want to believe, by the way? Because his heart was hurting too bad. Have you ever said, no, no, no. I, I, I can't put my hope out there again. can't put my faith out there again because I just don't want to be disappointed. That's how the devil does it. That's how the devil steals your faith. But what does Jesus do? He walks into the room where Thomas was. He said, yo, Thomas, reach here your fingers. Touch the holes in my hands. Reach hither your hand. Touch the wound in my side. Be not faithless, but believing. Why? He wanted those he loved to know he was the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? For Peter and John. You know what he did? He left clues at the tomb. 
Mary Magdalene shows up the first time. She thinks that somebody robbed the grave. She goes back and she tells the disciples they stole the body. She goes back. The angel is waiting there for her. Tells her that he wasn't there. He was risen. But by that time, Peter and John are running to the tomb. Look at what the scripture says. John chapter uh, 20, verse number 3. Peter therefore went forth. And the other disciple, that's John, and they came to the sepulcher. So they both ran together. And I love this part. And the, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. That's guy stuff. Like, you know, you're a guy and you're like, yo, man, you can't beat me at that. <laughs> you only lift 150 pounds, I can lift 250 pounds. Yo, when I, when, if you walk with me across the street and you're another guy, I'm going to get to the curb first. Some people are like, yo, I just beat you right there. See, God, what, what is he writing? And the other disciple got there first. John was half Peter's age. Of course he can run faster than him. But John puts it down there. I thought it was like a little shot at Peter. And notice what it says next. It says, and he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying. Yet he went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and he went into the sepulcher and he seeth the linen cloths lie and the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen cloths but wrapped together or folded in place by itself. Then went in the other disciple which came first, John wants to make sure you got that, to the sepulcher And he saw and believed. So now Jesus has resurrected. This is the most important thing for anybody to believe. The scripture says if we don't believe in the resurrection, if the resurrection never happened, our faith is in vain. So Jesus knows this is going to be hard for the disciples to believe. And so he leaves the tomb, but he says, let me leave a little couple of clues here. What were the clues? Well, the linen cloths. So why was that a clue? Well, in Bible times, what did they do to the bodies? They wrapped it in linen cloths, right? And, and they put those linen cloth and spices and perfumes and ointments to mask the smell of the body. In the case of Jesus, the scripture told us that they used a hundred pounds of ointments. Imagine paper mache with a hundred pounds of like that gook and just wrapping it around the thing. And ra- you know how many layers were wrapped around the body of Jesus? Wrapped around and wrapped around. And then when they got to the head, they didn't wrap the head and all that. What they did is they put a, a napkin of sorts around just the head. But when Peter and John get to the tomb, there's no body, but the linens that were wrapped around the body are there. Now, let me just ask you a question. You're a thief. I don't really mean that, but just imagine you are. You go to the tomb. You're going to steal the body, right? And you go, oh, oh, wait a second. Before we get the body out of here, let's just unwrap all these linens that are around the body. And you just sit there. One, two. Yo, bro, we better get out of here. The authorities are going to, don't worry, we got to unwrap these linens first. Three, four. Come on, man, they're going to get us. Five, six, hundred, thousand, thousand, one, thousand, two. What stupid kind of thief is going to take time to unwrap all the linens. And then finally they unwrap all the linens and they're ready to take the body out. And one of them goes, yo, bro, bro, before we go, I forgot about the napkin. Goes back there and takes the napkin and just folds it real nice and just puts it over on the side there. What kind of stupid thief was that? Why were the linens left? Why was the folded napkin left? So that when Peter and John came to the tomb, they would have a clue to help them believe that he was the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? There was a legend, by the way, about the napkin in Bible times. There's up masters and servants, and when a servant would set the table for the master, then they would set the table, then they'd go off in the corner and they'd just wait. And they wouldn't approach the table unless they were called or unless the master was finished. 
And the sign that the master was finished had everything to do with a napkin. If the master wanted to get up for the table but wasn't finished, what the master would, would, or was finished, what the master would do was he would just wad the napkin up and throw it on the table. That meant I'm done, you can clean up the table. If they weren't finished, so like when you go to a restaurant, what happens when you go to the bathroom, you come back, if you go to a nice restaurant, they fold your napkin, they put it right back down again. If the napkin was folded, it meant I'll be back. When Peter and John come to the tomb, they look. The napkin's folded. Guess what Jesus was saying? You thought I was gone, but I'm back. You thought I was finished, but here I am again. Somebody came in here today. You thought God was finished, but the resurrection is he's not. He's not finished with your dream. He's not finished with your life. He's not finished with your marriage. He's not finished with your health. He's back. Do you believe this? When you read the story of the resurrection, he didn't only leave clues For his disciples, he left clues for us. How so? In the way he wrote the story. Anybody, like, have code words with their family? If their family's in trouble, right? You you tell them, call and just leave a code word or text a code word. Let us know you're in trouble, right? Well, Well, Jesus did that with us. He put some codes in the scripture. So that when we read the scripture, we would know, ah, he definitely did rise. What's one of them? Mary Magdalene, first one to the tomb. In Bible times, women were considered to be uneducated. Matter of fact, it was an early philosopher in the second century. His name was Celsus. Here's what he wrote. He said, how can anybody expect rational men to listen to the testimony of a hysterical female? Do you know what the knock against early Christianity was? It was that the first witness of the resurrection was a woman. Because if you wanted to make something up, you wouldn't make a woman write the story or be the first witness. You would find the most dignified man and he'd be your witness. Because a woman would not be accepted by the society in those days. And so there is no historical reason to make a woman the first one to testify to the resurrection other than God leaving us a clue that it really happened that way. But check this out. God takes it one step further. Not any woman. Mary Magdalene. She was cray-cray. Yeah. Bible says Jesus cast seven demons out of her. You know what happens to a person who got seven demons in them? They walk around like this. They strip off their clothes. They run around naked. They talk to themselves. This is the one that everybody saw as crazy. You know them crazy Christians. This is what everybody thought was crazy. Jesus said, I'm not just going to make anybody the first witness. I'm going to make the one that, uh, the woman who everybody thinks is crazy the first witness. You would not do that if you were trying to make it up. It's a clue. But you know why Jesus picked Mary to be the first one? Because it's the gospel message. Because Mary, before she met Jesus, she was cray cray. She didn't do nothing to earn her salvation. She wasn't good enough for it. She didn't earn it. She didn't live right for it. But Jesus gave it to her anyway. Why? Because that's how salvation comes. By grace, through faith. Anybody happy for the grace of God? He saved you not because you deserved it. He saved you because he loved you that much. He left us clues. Do you believe this? The whole point of the resurrection is so we would believe the last category, the result on our lives. As we come to the text, 
Jesus is standing before the tomb, and if the worship team could come and get in place, the result on our lives, Jesus comes to the tomb, and he says this, can you show me where you laid him? And they say to Jesus, come and see. The first way that the gospel has an effect on your life is you've got to take Jesus to the places where you gave up to those dead places in your life. Take Jesus and allow him into the places where you stopped believing. Allow him into the places where you thought it was over. Allow him into the places where you thought they would never be resurrected again. Allow him into those special places in your life. He wants not just part of you, but he wants all of you. Allow him into those places where you threw in the towel, those places where you gave up, those places you decided the story was just invented, those places you thought it was just a holiday, those places of unbelief, those places of hurt, those places of pain, those places of sickness, and those places of sin. But then he says to them, verse 39, take away the stone. In order for the gospel to affect your life, you've got to roll away the stone on your heart. God's not going to move the stone. God's not going to automatically save you. God requires you to roll the stone away from your heart. God requires you to give him access into your life. He's given you free will. He said, you know what? At the end of the day, I could give you all the proofs that there are, and there are a ton of them. I could sit here for the next three weeks and talk to you about all the reasons why the resurrection is reliable. Well, God left just a few questions, just enough unanswered, because at the end of the day, it comes not not down to proof, but down to faith. Will you roll away the stone in your heart? But then the next step, he said, Lord, Martha said, by now he stinks. The next step for the gospel to affect you, you got to take God to those stinky places. How many of you know there are stinky places in every single one of our lives? Things that we are ashamed of, things that we never wish we did, things that we hid, things that nobody knows about. And God is saying, you got to take me to the stinky places. And the stinkiest place of all is the sin that is against our soul. And you have to be confident enough in Jesus to say, come and take this stench off of my life. Sin is a stench in the nostrils of God. Sin will not get you right with God. And there's only one way for you to be forgiven of your sin, and that's to take Jesus to the stinky places. But then the last thing, Jesus stands before the tomb of Lazarus, and you remember it? He stands there with a loud voice. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And he who was dead and was bound came out still bound with one foot in a grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth and Jesus said, loose him and let him go. The grave clothes are the sin that is against your life and Jesus came to call you out of your sin. He came to call you out of the grave. He came to call you out from a life of death to a life of life. Can you hear him right now? He's saying, 